Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. from John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. My name is Derek Hebert. I'm one of the teachers here at Rev. My family and I have been here for a little over a year. Uh, moved to Boise about a year and a half ago. We're part of a gospel community out in southwest Boise. Uh, thankful to be here with you all this morning. Let's see, six more days till Christmas, right? That's where we're at. Kids, woohoo! <laughs> um, <clears throat> looking forward to it. We're going to talk about love and friendship this morning, as you saw in our short passage. And uh, Bren asked me to fill in for him, and very happy to do so and serve the body in this way. So, love and friendship. You know, it was good that we um, coordinated it, uh, sort of, with the uh, the Advent count, or excuse me, the Advent candle, with love and focusing on that this morning. So, we're going to do that. Um, <clears throat> You know, the culture, when you, when you look out in the culture these days, there's a lot of talk about love. I mean, love is everywhere. People talk about it a lot. <clears throat> um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily something that's foreign to our culture. And so what I thought would be good is if we have a little, like, song trivia here and see how well we know some of our popular songs about love. So we're going to do, I'm going to ask you guys to help me out with that a little bit and uh, help me finish the song lyric, Okay. So this is going to be this is going to be kind of fun. It's going to be easy, trust me. So let's get the first one up there, Kelsey. From the Beatles. Everybody knows this, right? All you need is love. Good. Okay. Let's get that on there. All you need is love. And then and then let's do the next one here. What the world needs now is sweet love, Jackie DeShannon. That's right. I think she's from the 70s or the 60s. Can't remember. Anyway, so and then we're going to do a final one here. This one might be a little more obscure from Queen, Under Pressure. Um, let's see. Why can't we give love one more chance? Why can't we give, give, give? Okay, can you hear Freddie Mercury's voice in your head there a little bit? This song actually featured David Bowie. I'm not going to get into David Bowie this morning. but um, <laughs> So... In this song, he actually says it like 12 times, give love, give love, give love. So here in our culture, North America, London, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's a strong focus on love. Everybody has this idea of what they think love should be. And I would say in terms of giving love, in terms of what the world needs now is love, I would generally agree with that. But I have questions. 
okay? We all need to be loved. We need to give love. But I have some questions. And the question is, what do you mean by love? How do you define it? Do you mean love as a warm, fuzzy feeling? In other words, an emotion or a sentiment of goodwill, decent civil behavior toward another human being? In other words, Christmas? (laughs) Is that what we mean by love? Is just a feeling, a good feeling that makes us feel good inside? Or do you mean love as this sort of uncritical acceptance of people? In other words, whatever you believe, however you want to live, however you want to define yourself, I accept you and I love you and will not allow what I believe to critique or challenge or rub up against your beliefs, your lifestyle, your identity. Is that what you mean by love? As one person said, we should all be like Mother Nature and love everyone without judging. See, if you define love in those ways, whether as a warm, fuzzy feeling or as this uncritical acceptance that can't be challenged at all, if you define love in those ways, then I have concerns. Why? Because none of those definitions of love holds up under the weight of sin and brokenness. See, if you define love as a warm, fuzzy feeling toward people, that love, as we all know, lasts only as long as the emotion lasts, right? Let's be honest. Emotions come and go. They change. They fluctuate because life changes. Bad things happen. There's pain. Broken people who cause us pain. That's super hard to love, right? I mean, that's, that's super hard to hold on to that emotion towards someone, when someone has hurt us or someone disagrees with us in some way. Or if you define love as uncritical acceptance towards all people, it lasts only as long as you agree on certain beliefs and values and lifestyle or certain politics. When your beliefs and values impinge on and critique theirs, you may no longer be showing love to them. In fact, some people would say you're hating me if you disagree with me. What if someone's beliefs, values, and lifestyle are destructive to themselves? or to others? Do we still love and accept them? Now, I know that God says in John 3.16, like we just heard, he, he so loved the world, and we are called to love people, but the way that our culture is generally viewing love is you must accept everything about me and who I am and cannot critique me, challenge me. Your beliefs cannot, um, cannot rub up against mine, and if that's our definition of love, then that's where the problem is. See, if we seek to love each other based on our happy emotions, as soon as that person says or does something to offend us, or they are hard to relate to or uncomfortable to be around, those feelings quickly dissipate and dissolve. And we don't have a strong enough foundation to continue loving them, right? If that's all that we see love as is that emotion, or if we seek to love each other based on the agreement of certain beliefs and lifestyle, Once anyone changes their beliefs or lifestyle or no longer agrees with us in some way, that love and acceptance is challenged and threatened, and we end up not loving and accepting them. And my friends, this is not just in the culture, but often happens here in the church, right? Dealing with conflicting beliefs and opinions, and maybe they're not core beliefs, or at least I hope they're not when it comes to Jesus and Scripture, but there's secondary things that we often maybe raise higher than they ought to be. And so we have conflicting opinions and views and beliefs. And we've been in like, what, a a year and a half to two years of a pandemic that's kind of risen a lot of these things to the surface. 
And we think there should be certain solutions that tend to be enmeshed in politics, and then there's conflicts there, or we differ on finer theological points and how, or ch how church ought to be done, what we think about education, women in leadership. There's all kinds of these things that even happen in the church that make it hard for us to love each other. How do we still love each other even when we disagree on some of these issues? How do we love each other even when we don't feel the warm, fuzzy emotions of Christmas toward each other? Where will we find the basis and the foundation to maintain love for each other even when it seems so difficult? We're going to look at a couple of those ways this morning. We're going to look at two ways. We're going to look at what kind of relationships we are called to, and then we're going to look at what we do in those relationships. Okay, two ways. We're going to look at the relationships that we're called to, and we're going to look at what we do in those relationships. So, as we saw here in John 15, in that scripture, if you have your Bibles open or your Bible app on your phone, in the context here of John 15, this is almost kind of like right smack dab in the middle of this long speech or this monologue that Jesus gives to his disciples uh, before he goes to his crucifixion. And in that monologue, as we've looked at, as Bren's been teaching on the last few weeks as well, is a strong focus on unity. Um, there's also a focus on love. John talks about love a lot. There's, there's this unity with him. Last week, uh, Brent focused on Jesus is divine, being the vine. We are the branches. And as the branches, we bear fruit, right? So he talks, Jesus talks a lot about discipleship. He talks about the, um, uh, the coming and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so here in John 15, in these verses, there's a strong focus on loving each other as God's people, so look what he says here. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he even says at the end, at the end of this little short passage in John 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So love is like the book ends. It's at the beginning and it's at the end. It kind of frames this whole thing, right? So as we get into this, just have that in mind here of this context. Now, the first thing that we're going to look at here is what kind of relationships we are called to. And, that, and, and that's the first point. That's the first, um, the, the first major point. And that, that, that relationship is actually friendship. Okay, if you notice how Jesus, he mentions it three times. Let's read this here. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. This is astounding. This is one of the, I think one of the first times it seems like in the New Testament and kind of in the Bible that, um, the whole Bible, that there's a strong focus on friendship here, right? <clears throat> friendship tends to be a rich commodity in our culture. I think we could all agree there's a high value placed on having a friend group. The whole commercial industry and the marketing industry tends to focus on that a lot. Like their product or their service that they're trying to promote, they show that in the context of a group of friends, especially if it's an entertainment uh, kind of a context, right? Um, we have, yes, friends, thank you. We have the whole TV show, right? Raise your hand if you ever watched Friends. Okay, good. There's some other Generation X people out there. That's good. Um, I tried to find the cheesiest picture I could find here of friends, but 
right? So, so this show actually went on for 10 seasons. I mean, it was a major hit series. We could, I, I would love to get into it, <laughs> but we're not going to spend time doing that this morning. But for those of you who remember this show, it was huge, right? So there's a deep significance of having friends. Being a friend is greater, we could say, than being alone. Like, we just need friends. In fact, that might be the true poverty. Okay, Kelsey, you can take it off the screen now. Um, <clears throat> that might be the true poverty. Like, real poverty and being poor is not having, like, very little money. It's having very little friends or no friends at all. I mean, friendship goes all the way back to the Greeks. The great uh, Greek philosopher Aristotle said, friendship is a virtue and is most necessary to life. For without friends, no one would choose to live. Though he had all other goods, even rich men and those in possession of office and of dominating power are thought to need friends most of all. For what is the use of such prosperity without the opportunity of kindness and generosity, which is exercised towards friends, right? That great Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Watch it every Christmas. Clarence the Angel, after George has gone through his whole situation that he has, he says, George, remember that no man is a failure who has friends. So friends is very huge um, in our culture. And there's a difference between how friends are made or how friends are, are centered on, focused on in culture versus in the Bible. So the cultural definition of friends could be seen often as it's a connection that I have with someone based on personal interest or preferences in life or demographic or situation, right? And then in, in many ways, that just seems natural. I get that. But the biblical definition is actually that friendship is a commitment towards someone based on truth, regardless of interest, regardless of demographic or situation in life. The word, the Greek word in the New Testament Greek, the original language for friend, is philos. It's where we get the word for love. It's connected to that word. It means dearly loved, brotherly love, loved one. So friend in the Bible at its core is about love. That's why Jesus focuses on it here. So in the culture around us, we see that friendship is people that I choose based on similar interests or opinions. It's like that person has to agree with me in some way. But in the Bible, friendship is someone that I choose based on truth and love. So the friendship, the relationship with them has to agree with that truth, has to agree with that love. Do you see that? So why does Jesus call us friends here? Why does he call us friends? Because isn't the Christian life about serving Jesus? Because he obviously calls us friends. What is that about? I want to get into that here just a little bit. The first reason is because he wants us to have a unique he wants to have a unique kind of relationship with us, unlike anything that the world has ever seen. Look what he says here in verse 15. No longer do I call you friends, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that, I, um, all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you. Excuse me, when he said in verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Now, I want us to consider the magnitude of his statement here. Because what Jesus is doing in this time, in this culture, is he's turning the whole, ca- the whole categories of divine and human status on its head. So back then, in the Greek culture and the Greek philosophy, there was no way it was inconceivable for a, a god or a, a divine being to have a friendship with a human being. Because there's such a great gap there. There's a great disparity of, of empathy. 
a God or a divine being has no idea what it means to be human and vice versa. The human doesn't know what it means to be God. So there would be ever, like there would never be any concept of a friendship or that kind of a relationship there. And yet Jesus is saying, I'm God and I want to be friends with you. Do you see that? And you see, he's just closing that gap. There's no top-down, any kind of a top-down master or servant relationship here, at least in what he's saying. And again, he's not saying, I'm not the master. He's not saying, I'm not your Lord. But he's saying, I I want it to be more than that. I want it to go beyond that. I want it to be on a different level. Instead of just this top-down vertical relationship, it's actually going to be a little more horizontal. Like, we're going to be on the same level in a sense. Do you see that? Even with a master-servant or a boss-employee relationship, it's a top-down contractual relationship. The boss, a boss does not relate to their employee as a friend. Why? Because it would create confusion within the contract, conflict of interest. It would breed suspicion of favoritism among other employees. That would never happen. And yet, here's Jesus saying, I want to be your friend. Even though I'm God, (laughs) even though I'm your Lord and your King, so we see that, that in that time, in that culture, the God-human, the master-servant relationship is on two different levels, and we can even see that in our culture. I mean, even if you think about how a celebrity might even view people like us who are not celebrities, right? Like, I'm so popular, I have no idea what it's like to be you. Maybe you wish you could be like me, but you have no idea what it's like to be me. Do you see that? And here's Jesus saying... No, I want to be friends. I want to be on the same level as you. And that's, and that's what we celebrated Christmas, the incarnation, God coming down to be with us, God coming down to earth, literally. This is not to say that we do not serve Jesus as our king. Of course, we are servants in his kingdom. It is to say that a friend has a far different kind of relationship than a servant has with their master. So that's the first reason why Jesus calls us friends. The second reason is because he knows that friendship with him leads to and results in obedience. Good what he says in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And again in John 7 in the in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now Oftentimes, John, especially in this monologue, he says things with the words if and then. He has Jesus saying, like, if you do this, then this. Or if you are this, then this. Or if you love me, you will, you will do what I command. It's re- it would be really easy to interpret that as legalism. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying only when, only if this, then you will do this. More so for John, it's when you are this, then this happens. So when you are my friends, then you do what I command you. When you are in relationship with me, then you show love to each other. Then you love. So it's not an if-then, it's more when-then. And that's why Jesus, one of the reasons why he calls us friends, right? See, in discipleship, we do have an obligation to serve and obey Jesus. And yet, as a loving friend, the motivation changes there a little bit, does it not? You're more compelled in your heart to want to love Jesus and love each other. When you believe that you're friends, when you believe that you have a friendship identity with him. Now, let's get down to, let's get down to the ground level here. In the church at Rev, does this mean 
that we must be friends with everyone here at Rev? Yes and no. Yes, because Jesus calls us friends that we should learn to have a commitment to each other, regardless of interest, lifestyle, likes, dislikes, looks, hobbies, ethnicity, married or single, kids, no kids, Democrat, Republican, <laughs> libertarian, public school, homeschool. See, why? Because Jesus' kingdom, his reality transcends all these human categories. It goes above and beyond it. So yes, we can be friends with everyone here at Rev, and yet no, because we can't possibly have the same level of friendship with everyone. I'm just, let's be honest about that, okay? That's reality. We're not God. We're human. We're finite and limited. We can't be friends or close friends, obviously, with everyone. Otherwise, we'd be friends with no one. Spread ourselves too thin. It's too broad. Now, friendships are good, okay, as we've seen here. As we're focusing on it, they're great, and yet they can be hard, especially in the church. And they can be amazing for a time, and then we really get to know people, and we, we struggle with being irritated. Or we might struggle with being hurt. When I was in the military, I spent some time in the Army Reserves, and um, I had a friend that was part of my Army Reserve unit, and we could not have been any different. I mean, just his personality the things that he was into, what he liked versus what I liked versus my personality. I mean, we were just like night and day. And yet, there was something about even the commonality, just the commonality that we had in Jesus and the unity that we had in Jesus that brought us together, that brought us into a friendship to help us get through army life and military life that still sticks with me today. You know, when you think back to your childhood and some of the the friends that maybe you had in childhood and what kind of level that friendship was and what you experienced in that and how that changes over time through the teenage years and into the adult years and what and what and in terms of how you view friendships how you experience friendships now um, as adults you know it's different right and and yet it's so important especially in the church to have Christian friends whether it's here at Rev or it's the big C church, the church brought other, other friends that are Christians in other cities or churches here in Boise. It's super important. It's so deeply significant. And I, I want to encourage you parents, especially if you have teenagers, that, that the teen years of navigating friendships can be some of the most difficult. So hard. And I want to encourage you, if you have teenagers, you have kids that are quickly becoming <laughs> teenagers, that you that you figure out ways to help them foster that and foster it well, especially here in the church at Rev, where there's like, like there is that agreement and there's that commonality. And, that, and there's that closed-handed core belief or that, 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 that similarity in Jesus that is so deeply important. And I just encourage you to, to consider that. Or even if you don't have kids yet, that you would consider how you can be a, be a part of that and help foster that. Because that's what the youth group here and what Terrell's seeking to do, that's, that's a huge part of it, is seeking to build a community of friends among teens and among youth that are so important for them uh, growing up. And I want to say this, too, that as conflicts arise, because they will, because people will say things that, may, that might offend us, that might hurt us in some way. And it's hardest when it's from Christians, right? Because you would expect that Christians wouldn't say those things. And yet we're sinners. And we're broken and those things happen. And they, and, and, they, and they unfortunately get spoken. 
And uh, if there's a conflict that you feel towards someone or there's a tension that hasn't been worked through that you haven't talked to them about, you haven't approached them about, I encourage you so much to pursue that. Pursue reconciliation. Don't let it fester. Because of what Jesus says here, okay, part of being friends in his kingdom, part of being friends in his church and loving them is pursuing that reconciliation. Pursue that. Seek that forgiveness. Okay? So, we're friends of Jesus and we're friends of each other. What does it look like as friends? What does that look like to be in relationship? And this is our final point here. What we do in these relationships is we love one another at cost to ourselves. Love one another at cost to ourselves. I'm sure, some, I'm sure many of us have heard sermons and teaching on this. We understand that the primary Christian ethic is love. I want to first just talk about, well, what love is not first, because that often helps us to define it and describe it a little bit more. Let's talk about what it's not. First of all, love is not a word to be taken lightly. When you, when you look around in our culture, the actual use of the word love and how I use it and how I, often, how I think we often use it in our culture is there, there tends to be this incredibly broad use of it that we throw around the word love for so many different things and so many different situations. For example, I love tacos. So in the same conversation, I could say I love tacos and I love my job. It's like tacos, job, which one of those has more importance in life, right? I love steak and I love my wife. I mean, do you see what's going on there? Do you see how I'm using the word love for two different things that have a huge gap of priority and value in my life, right? I should love my wife more than I love tacos, but I still use the, the same word to describe how I feel about both. You see, what, you see what's going on there? So there tends to be this broad use of it, which actually can weaken or flatten the deep meaning of what love is. In the Bible, love is a very strong and robust, meaningful word and reality. Love in the Bible means faithfulness. It means fidelity. It means loyalty. It means commitment, kindness. It means sacrifice, forgiveness, patience. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, right? So someone, say, and some, and so someone might say, well, I'm, Derek, I'm loyal to tacos, Right? I'm faithful to them. Yeah, but you're not in the same way you should be loyal or faithful to a friend. I mean, come on. Let's be honest here. At least I hope you're not. Right? So it's good. It's good and right for us to return to a biblical definition of love to be more specific and intentional with that word. Otherwise, we cheapen it. And so what I'm trying to learn how to do, and this is me personally because I'm kind of a word guy. I'm kind of a language guy. Is like if there's something that I enjoy, I say I like it. But when I'm committed to someone or something, I say that I love it so that I can, I can, I can uh, train my mind and my heart to really, um, under, to, to really think through and, and, and really point my love and my affection in the right direction there and, and use my words well. Like, I want to love God and love people because that's what we're about here at Rev, but I don't want to love things Okay, because I, I, I want to use things to love God and to love people. You see that? I don't want to use people to love things. So we often use, I, I know we often use the word love to exaggerate our desire for something, but I want to learn to be intentional with that. So love is not a word to be taken lightly. As well, love is not merely an emotion 
or a warm, giddy feeling. And I know we already talked about that a little bit, but um, you know, the whole marketing industry here during Christmas capitalizes on these warm feelings of good cheer and benevolence and kindness. But see, love can't just be based on those feelings because feelings are like the wind. They come and go. So what, what is love? So love, as we've seen here, is faithful. It's loyal. The, the Greek word for love that Jesus used here is agape. It's primarily of Christian love. It means to show or to prove one's love. Place first in one's affections. Look at what he says here again in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at this in 13. He's going to show the action part of love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Lays down their life for their friends. There's an action there. There's clear action to be taken in love. Lay down your life. That means sacrifice. That means it's going to cost you something. To love your friends is going to cost you something. To love your friends is not just hang out time over drinks. Maybe it costs you something to buy that person a drink. That'd be great. But it's, but it's costing you. Like real tangible love costs you something. See, biblical love is always action-based. It's not feeling or emotion-based. It's tangible. It does things. It gets activated. It goes into motion. It's not merely felt. Biblical love produces results. There's fruit. There's an output there that's tangible that you can grasp, that you experience. It has a tangible effect on you. That's what biblical love is. It's faithful, loyal, and it's action-based. There's this great um, scene in that musical, The Fiddler on the Roof. Tevia asks his wife, Golda, whether she loves him after being married for a quarter of a century, and her response, though somewhat cynical, is spot on. She says, for 25 years, I have washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned the house, given you children, and milked your cow. (laughs) If that's not love, What is? 25 years I've been committed to doing these things for you, giving my time and my energy to you, to this family, okay? Laying down your life, giving action to love is going to cost you. It's going to cost you the the three big commodities in your life, your time, which is your freedom, your energy, and your money for your friends. It's costly. Every decision in the Bible you make toward God or, or, or toward a person that is in line with God's will, most every action of worship, love, and service will cost you something. Why? Because worship is a sacrifice. Love is a sacrifice. Relationships, marriage, friendship, church, it's all sacrifice. You have to remember that in Christianity, in Jesus' kingdom, sacrifice is always on the table. It just is. (laughs) Jesus doesn't allow us to define love any other way. He will not. Regardless of what, whatever the culture says, this is what love is. Jesus says, yeah, but in my kingdom, it's going to cost you. See, the church is to be an alternative, diverse community here in the world. There needs to be a sense of genuineness and authenticity to the church that is different than what the world sees. Because it sees that a group of people in a community can come together 
and learn to be friends and learn to love each other regardless of what we look like regardless of our background, regardless of our politics, regardless of our skin color, regardless of our personal interests or our affinities or our age or our demographic or situation in life or our socioeconomic status. Okay? It's it's regardless of all that because Jesus' kingdom transcends all that. And Jesus says, no, it's about me. If I'm at the center of it, then, then you can come together as a community. You can learn to love each other in a way that is so different than the rest of the world. And the most primary visible expression of that is sacrificial love, my friends. Like the world has just, like they have no, there is no category for that. Because there's so much transaction, there's so much contract out in the world of like, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. If you love me, I'll love you. And Jesus says, no, just love. Just lay down your life. My friends, here's the thing. (laughs) At the end of the day, I mean, this all sounds amazing. Loving one another. Christmas. Yep, get it. I know that. Faithful friendships. I'm all about that. Genuine, authentic community. I desire that. And yet, you might be in a difficult situation with another Christian, another believer, right? Or it's been a tiring week and it would really help to have a weekend all to yourself, but someone in your gospel community or someone in your group here at Rev needs help. In fact, maybe this person seems to need help like a lot, and they have a lot of needs. Maybe this person has a personality that's just too different than you. See, it sometimes rubs you the wrong way. Last thing you can think of to do is to help them, serve them, lay down your life. You see, everything about loving one another as a friend, it sounds good and right and true and beautiful, and yet, eight times out of 10, maybe nine times out of 10, most of us, we choose ourselves over someone else. I do that. I choose my own freedom. I choose my own needs. I choose my own desires, my plans, my goals over someone else, over others. We choose to love ourselves more than our friends even. Why? Why do we do that? (laughs) Because of our sin and our brokenness. And so the real question here is where will we find that strength and that inner resource to choose to love our friends, our community, especially here at Rev? Jesus has an answer for that. He says, I chose you to be, Jesus chose you to be in relationship with him even though you did not choose him. That's the gospel. Jesus chose you even though you didn't choose him. Look at what he says here in verse 16. It's pretty clear. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Look at those words. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Do you know that feeling of being chosen by a friend? Do you know that feeling? That you have a friend that chooses you. Maybe even before you chose them. Here's what Jesus does. See, it's one thing to choose someone and pursue them and put yourself out there and become a little vulnerable to the potential of rejection, right? That's you doing all the work. It is quite another thing to experience to be chosen and friendship by someone else when you weren't even thinking of them, to be pursued. 
And that's what Jesus does. And Jesus laid down his life for you. He laid down his life for us, though we were once his enemies. <laughs> Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. See, the disciples, when they're hearing this from Jesus, they do not yet realize that Jesus is foretelling the gospel here. He is foretelling, he's showing them and speaking to them, even before it happens, what's going to happen. He's going to die. He's, he's literally going to lay down his life for the disciples. He's going to choose them, even though they did not choose him. You see, ultimately, Jesus lays down his life, not just for his friends, but for his enemies, because in our sin, we were all once enemies of Jesus. And my friends, if there's anyone here who doesn't know that, if you're here and you haven't heard that before, that Jesus chose you when you did not choose him, I pray that you would believe that. I pray that you would see that. There'd be something that strikes your heart about that, because that's the gospel. That's the good news. He chose you for salvation. He chose you to forgive you. He chose you to love you and to be in relationship with you. That's the good news. I pray that you would see that. So we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of communion here. John, are you going to come up and lead? We're going to go in time of communion here. We're going to focus on that. And um, I would encourage you that in this time, if there's someone here at Rev, maybe if they're even here at this service, maybe they're in a different service or a different gospel community, whatever, but if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that to pursue them in some way, to have a conversation with them, maybe, maybe there was once a friendship, a connection there, but it's waned and it hasn't been as much in, in, in recent months or even years, I encourage you to, per, to re-pursue that. See, Jesus calls us to be that kind of a community. <laughs> Genuine, authentic, real, honest, vulnerable, loving. And let's, let's continue to learn how we can do that in our gospel communities, laying down our life for each other, okay? Let's continue to worship Jesus. Thank him for the gospel. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God 